0: have conversations. Look, look I, I've worked closely with Mike for, for three years. and I know you guys all have relationships with Mike um, for many years more than that. And, and I appreciated everything that Michael did. And he did a lot helping me throughout the last three years, getting up to speed on the organization, especially the first year and the players that we have in the organization. So we did have conversations about, uh, you know, Mike coming back. But it's my job to make the best decision for the organization moving forward. And um, after we had our conversation, we we came to the conclusion that we were better off um, parting ways.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Andre, how are you doing, man?
2: Hanging in there, man. Good. You know... Missing uh, covering the Marlins this year with the way things went, but enjoying the postseason. It's still been pretty crazy with two Game 7s. I I can't wait to see what the World Series has in store.
1: Yeah, we'll touch on the World Series a little bit later, and we'll talk a little bit about that Game 7 between the Braves and the Dodgers. Oh my goodness, what a game that was. But first, (laughs) we have some important Marlins news to discuss that drops early Sunday morning. Uh, The Marlins decided not to retain President of Baseball Operations Michael Hill He'd been with the team since. he has been in the front office since 2002. Was president of baseball operations for eight years. Uh, Derek Jeter, CEO, essentially said that the front office is going to be doing some restructuring. And when they met with Hill last week to discuss potential of moving forward, the both parties ultimately agreed it was best to part ways after negotiations essentially stalled. Uh, here's a little bit from Jeter himself about how everything went down, and a little bit about what's ahead.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, you go around the game, and whether it's the general manager or president of baseball operations, I know the titles do change. So we're going to sit down, and, and, and any candidate we have, whether it's someone internally, then they don't know exactly how uh, you know, our organization is run right now, and if it's someone that's coming externally, then we'll sit down and we'll explain to them how, how we operate. And, and the way that we operate, this organization is it's a very collaborative group. I mean, you start talking about Gary and player development and scouting and Dan and, and go to, to pro scouting with Hottie Rod. go to uh, amateur scouting with D.J. Phillips, You have Adrian Lorenzo. You have Billy Matthews. You have Joe Carroll. You have Stan Meek. I mean, we have a lot of people that are involved in the decision-making process because I would like to have as many uh, opinions possible before making a decision. So, the way our organization is run, of course, it's going to take a little bit of time to explain that to anyone that may be coming in externally. But, uh, you know, we'll take our time and make sure that we, we make the right decision here with who, who we decide to lead uh, baseball operations.
1: Okay, so obviously, at least in my end, this the news at first came as a bit of a surprise considering everything the Marlins went through this year. I mean,. Baseball operation staff, they had to replace 18 players on the fly after the COVID outbreak. They made 170-some-odd roster moves, all the debuts that we've discussed ad nauseum, and still made the playoffs. To me, at the very least, I thought that would at least get Hill at least one more year. See how everything would play out in 2021 over the course of a full 162-game season, and then a full decision I thought would have been made after next season. Dre, what was your thoughts on everything when the news came down? Yeah, I mean, I think the timing of it is what, in a way, I guess, does
2: it look you know, like it would have been? It would have gone the other way that maybe Mike would have had a little bit more time to continue to work in the process and everything. But I mean, the part that Derek talks about restructuring the organization and you know all the all the people in the front office that are going to have a voice in, in decisions. I mean, I, I, that's kind of been happening to an extent already. I think you know a lot of these guys. You know, a lot, you know we know how much input obviously Gary Denbo's had in in the process of, you know, restructuring this team and putting it together the way it have, the way they have, you know, and, and to me, it's a move toward even even more so than already they've been doing uh, toward an analytics push, because, you know, if you get Dan Greenley, who's already been involved in a lot of it, but now if you put him in that spot, I think that just shows you how dedicated they are to constructing, continuing to construct this team in, in that, in that manner and, and to continue to push forward and make analytics so important in the process for them which it wasn't for a long time before that so I mean we, you, you hate to see Mike go because I mean it's an end of an era over there after 18 years and you know even just from the, a personal standpoint the guy's, he's a great guy great person to have a, a, a very savvy mind baseball mind that any organization would you know be glad to have and hopefully he lands on his feet somewhere else but The timing of it, I guess, is what surprised me. Maybe not necessarily the move itself because of the fact that I think they've been moving toward kind of a a command structure like this. And I think that this is just where we're going to see it even more evident now going forward and and, and the analytics push especially.
1: And definitely you touched on Greenlee. He was the director of player personnel. He was essentially that middleman between the revamped analytics department that really started to come into its own when the new ownership group took over and the rest of the front office for when they may start making decisions. He helped him and the analytics department play that big role in that COVID outbreak restructuring of the roster with a lot of the stuff they did behind the scenes. And he's now promoted to assistant GM with Brian Chatton. And we'll see how they decide to move everything moving forward between whether it's just promote one of the already higher ups up to whether they decide to call president of baseball operations or general manager or if they hire someone externally, which it'll be interesting to see how that route would go, especially if you're going to keep the all-hands-on-deck nature and you're telling somebody, hey, we're going to hire you to be our GM or hire you to be our president of baseball operations. But just know that it's a collaborative say and you may not have as much power as the title initially holds. Well,
2: and that's where I wonder... if whoever you do bring in, because it's more of a, comp- a not complimentary maybe, not, not the right collaborative. To say it, but like a, a collaborative role, maybe you don't have to pay them as much. That's a fair you know point. I mean? you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to bring in that big name GM that's going to come in, and I'm going to put my stamp on the team, like you see that a lot in sports. But, you know, you look at the structure here, I mean, not just Gary Denbo, but Hattie Rad's had a big part in all this. Adrian Lorenzo has come a long way mm-hmm. in the organization in terms of scouting. And then DJ Spillik, the guy that, you know, really the last two drafts, you've seen a lot of the talent they've been able to acquire. He's been at the heart of that as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit different than, than, than you'd normally see when everybody is expecting that, like I said, that big-name GM to come in and really, you know, put their stamp on the team. I don't see that happening. It's it's kind of just going to be like another part, and maybe a guy who will be that voice to represent what the organization you know, the decisions the organizations make and why they believe in them and and all that kind of stuff. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady,
0: a Netflix live event happening May 5th
2: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make
0: it out? Because no. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Yeah,
1: and now the transition into decisions the organization can have to make. World Series is coming, and right after that, we have the off season. Five days yep. after World Series ends, they have two, op- two they have options two they've two options that are gonna have to be made. One seemed like a given from the moment they acquired him in Starling Marte because of everything they traded to get him at the deadline. It just made sense that they wouldn't have picked him up for a one-month option or a one-month rental, I should say. So and Derek Jeter on Sunday more or less confirmed that their plan is to pick up his $12.5 million option. But then you have the other guy. Good old Brandon Kinsler. Quote machine to end the year. Great clo- more or less Hello Zones closer throughout the year. He has a four million dollar option or a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar buyout. Dre, yeah. what are your thoughts on this one? Because I can see it going either way. My gut would be keep him on just because you saw what he was able to do and four million relative to what you're gonna have to pay some pretty good closers. It's that seems like a bargain, at least up front.
2: Well look at I, I took a look when we said we were gonna when you told me we were gonna talk about this, I took a look at some of the closer free agents to be and look at the money that they made this year. You know, you look at Alex Colomay, ten point five mil, Blake Trinan ten million, Shane Green six point five million, even Liam Hendricks that kind of surprised people, five point three million. All more expensive than what it would be to keep Brandon Kinsler, a guy that's already in house, a guy that it's been part of the mix already, and did a and did a good job, like you said. That's where I could see them picking up the tab and saying, "Hey, let's stay here. You know, we have a stable closer in house that we know that we know we can trust, that sort of thing, without blowing the bank on something like that." And remember, like a lot of teams, the Marlins coming in the next year because of COVID and because of a lot of financial losses aren't going to be looking to really, really go overboard, but especially in their case where they have a low payroll compared to the rest of the league and they still haven't squared away a lot of revenue generating deals they need to make i think they're gonna this would favor them to have a presence like that and someone that they don't have to go out and spend too much so i could see it going where he stays the interesting part's going to be with a couple of decisions they have to make in arbitration i think because you look at the list of guys entering arbitration it's this a long year, list long list and especially the expensive ones the more expensive ones i should say you know, Jose arana who feels like he's been in arbitration forever at this mm-hmm. point. I thought it was I thought it was over with, but I guess he still has one more year. Set to make, according to MLB trade rumors, kind of in the ballpark of what he made last year, three point eight million. But that's going to be a decision that really comes down to do they feel like they have enough depth in starter pitching and bullpen come springtime, you know, that, or going into the spring, or do they feel like we can save that near $4 million and dedicate that money somewhere else. I think that they might consider that just because, you know, we've seen how Regan has been rumored as a trade piece in the past. You look at all the prospects that came up this year that made their debut. They're a little bit closer to the major leagues. That again, to me, could go either way. They might keep them, but there's there's an argument for not. For the most part, Brian Anderson, they'll pay him. Jorge Alfaro, they'll pay him. I'd like to see them even pay the three point six, or let's see if it's in that ballpark to get to keep Aguilar one more year with what he did, just to kind of keep that cushion there at first base while Lewin Diaz comes up and he was, you know, a good home run threat for you and you know and, and so forth. And but beyond that, I mean, the ones that may go, I mean, I don't know. They won't cost too much to keep Ryan Stanek. It won't cost too much to keep Drew Second Writer. But we've seen Second, you know, deal with injuries, so I don't know. Ryan Stanek has struggled at times. Again, I don't know if they could get a, an upgrade in the bullpen there. Maybe they don't go that route. Richard Blyer's kind of in between if it costs a million. I don't know. I think Coop, what he's done, they'll keep. They'll, they'll decide to pay him and keep him around a little longer. you know. But that's kind of where they stand, and that's the ones that's going to be interesting. Those are some of the decisions that's going to be interesting to see over the next few weeks.
1: Yeah, my take on a few of those guys, and especially we'll touch on a little bit more with the construction of the 49 roster in a minute, and that probably couldn't, Play a factor in to some of these decisions, but with Ryan Stan and Drew Steckenrider, it's probably only going to be about eight hundred thousand in my my mind. If you have the forty man room, I don't see the, I don't see how it would hurt to at least keep them on through the start of spring training. See what you have. You already have an idea of what you have with these guys, and at least have a couple in house options as you go to spring training. And then if they don't work yeah. out, it's not like you're you're, it's not like you're shelling out four million for them and then just tossing them to the side. But,
2: right. Well, that's that's where the the, the cheap price tag helps. Definitely, you don't need it. Won't it won't cost you too much? And then at the very least, you have you're always going to need bodies because injuries are going to come uh-huh. up, stuff's going to happen in spring training, even, and you want to have enough depth to, to to put a bullpen together, and not start scrambling last minute as as opening day approaches.
1: And then the other one with Richard Blyer, I spoke with Dan Greenley before the wild card series about. Because he was one of those guys who they brought in with the 18 after the COVID, after the COVID outbreak to fill out the roster when they came back, and Greenlee flat out said that they were that the organization's been high on Blyer for about a year and a half now, and the outbreak itself really forced them to finally push the button and actually try to find a way to get him. So the fact that they got him, they liked what they saw. I would be shocked if they didn't tender him and bring him back, even if the price tag is about about $1.1 which is what MLB Trade Rumors has, just because of yeah. what the organization was talking about behind closed doors and now openly saying that they were really high on this guy for a while, and now that they actually have him, I don't think they were going to let him go after about a month or so. Yeah.
2: And that's where, again, the price tag, if you, let's say, I mean, these figures aren't 100% and they could be off by a little bit, but it's if it's in the ballpark of a mil, maybe a tad over a mil. You know that's fine. And same goes for Yumi Garcia. He turned out to be one of their best yeah. setup men. You yeah. Know, they're they're projecting 1.4 million. That's again that to me that's a, a worthy expenditure if you're going expenditure if you're going to have you know if you're going to have a stable high leverage setup uh, crew there at the end.
1: Yeah, and now their money on the books as of right now. If you before we get to the arbitration numbers. They have Corey Dickerson on the books for, I believe it's nine and a half million. million. they pick up Starling Marte's option, that's twelve and a half million. They have Rojas for five million. If they pick up Kinsler's option, which is four million, those four guys are thirty-one million, which let's just remember, way in Chen comes off the books this year. So you had the twenty-two million from Chen last year <laughs> that you had to pay for for him not to throw a single pitch in baseball this year. So you really are only paying about nine million more off of in addition to what you were basically paying for Chen last year off of these four guys, arbitration guys, and then almost everybody else outside of whoever you get in free agency is making the league minimum. So in yep. terms of your overall salary, their roster, their salary for the roster, they're looking in pretty good shape on that side of it.
2: Well, that's where you would hope that maybe if they can, they can add another couple of pieces if they if they're able to, you know, in terms of like their financial shape that they're in right now coming off the pandemic and everything if they you know they're probably not going to have like a, oodles of money to go spending on a major free agent you know what I mean but look at the the moves like, like Corey Dickerson the one that you mentioned right now that was a good that was a great add in the offseason season. Or Aguilar same thing there's another Dickerson there's another Aguilar there's another piece in there for that lineup that they could probably get at a reasonable price that flexibility there of the 31 million is definitely going to help so I think that you know, you're, you're looking at a roster that let's let, let's let's take a step back and look at it and maybe project it over 162. This team could be, at the very least, maybe at or near, let's say, a 500 type team coming off what happened last year. If you add another piece here, piece there, guys develop, you improve upon that, and you're getting closer. You know, maybe even if it's not a playoff team again next season, but I think they're you you've progressed already like we've said a bunch of times before you progressed from the abyss that they were at at 57 wins last year and now you're starting to get closer and closer to where you want to get to
1: definitely and now the look at the 40 man roster overall which is actually at 52 players when you factor in everyone who ended the year on the 60 day IL well, of that group you have 8 at least from my count, that are either slaves going to go free agency or in Francisco Cervelli's case retiring. You have Cervelli, who's going to come off of it. Matt Joyce, who's going to come off of it. Logan Forsythe, Sean Rodriguez, Mike Marin, who pitched I believe all of three games after coming into the group before getting hurt. I believe I'm ninety percent sure Josh A. Smith is off the books as well. And then Nick Vincent and Brad Boxberger. Those are eight who come off, which gets you the forty-four. And then you have to remember that. Gerard and Curnacion is going to have to get added onto the roster, or else he'll be eligible for the World Five draft. So that still leaves you, as of right now, with five guys over the limit. So to, it's going to be interesting to see because they have a lot of their prospects who they had to add to the forty-man roster in order to get them, in order for them to make their debuts when they had all the roster crunching. So they're at a really interesting spot here with how they're going to, have to figure it out how to shed a few spots, whether it's through trades or Ray, that one of your lower-end guys, you can take him off and help he clears your waivers. They're going to have some interesting decisions to make over the next month.
2: Yeah, and I mean, when you look at that list, I mean, the guys that jump out at me are Matt Joyce, Boxberger, of course, and and to an extent, I think Nick Vincent as well is pretty good, obviously, in the relief uh, crew there. But, I mean, if they're roster casualties in terms of space, I mean, you almost understand that you try to get, I think the one... That would hurt the most would probably be Boxberger because yeah. of the way that he was in that that role, the high leverage, the way him and Garcia, you know, would set up, you know, toward Kinsler. And I think you want to kind of keep that together unless there's a way to maybe bring them back in spring the way they did this year, maybe as a non-roster and, and, and go from there, try to figure out what can happen later on once, you know, obviously things will happen. There's a, there'll be a little bit of shuffling naturally because of, you know, injuries and whatnot. And then when it comes to Rule 5 guys, I mean, yeah, we sincerely hope Trevor Encarnacion is, is added because you don't want you don't want to, you don't want to lose a guy like that that is still very much in the mix for in the next couple of years uh, as far as probably being a potential starting corner outfielder, you know, with the power he has, probably one of the best power hitters they have yeah. overall in the system, you know, that I, you can definitely make an argument even more. We talk about all the other guys that have already made it, but I don't think people have yet to really, really see what this kid can do at the plate. And you know, and his his defense is improving. He's got and then another thing I wasn't gonna talk about is he may have the best power arm of any outfielder in the system. Just the way he throws too. So you definitely wanna hang on to someone like that. And they have a few guys that are out just outside the top thirty as far as the prospect rankings go that they might want to, if possible, keep an eye out and maybe protect them from getting plucked away from other teams as well. So
1: yeah, it's going to be an interesting couple months, and we'll see how quickly the front office is able to finalize its ordering so they can handle all the other business they're going to have to do. And now the jump big-picture baseball. World Series starts Tuesday, Dre. Yeah, well,
2: yeah. and, and well, I, I, one thing that caught my eye is this series is going to be
1: played out with a couple of days off in between, yeah. which is unheard of in these
2: playoffs. Somebody's actually going to have a day of rest.
1: Yeah, and before we get to the World Series – I just I need to talk a little bit about NLCS Game 7. The Braves Dodgers, yeah. that was one of the best games I've watched in a while. I was extremely happy I had to I was able to watch it without the pressure of having to write on deadline. And yet subsequently also upset that I wasn't writing that game story on deadline. As weird <laughs> as that sounds, it was just It was just a yeah. great game from start to finish and then Co- and honestly, Cody Bellinger's backdrop, I think that overtook the backflips of the season this year with that, hom- with that oh, goal yeah. home run.
2: <laughs> I mean, and I, I can't say enough about how good this kid is and, and still is going to be. I mean, I remember I had a vote on rookie of the year, which was an easy one you know, a couple of years ago. And then the MVP last year again, I mean, we're, he's just scratching the surface. I mean, he's got co- to, for him to, it was so appropriate for him to be like that last home run of all the home runs, all the clutch home runs they hit. Not the last one. And another and another funny backdrop or slow-mo picture, which I can't get enough of, is Dustin May and his red locks. Yeah. Just flying up in the air as he jumps over the railing of the dugout. <laughs> and like, the jerseys coming up. I mean, it's pretty hilarious, like the the way you see the emotions of these playoffs, and it's great to see like, you know, sometimes baseball you, you, you gets a little criticized because the guys don't really let it all out and really because of all the unwritten rules and oh you can't do this and you can't do that. But you see how fun it gets when it gets to this stage and the pressure's on, especially in a, in a game seven. So I like I like that. I like the way that they were able to let loose and you know that it, it's good. I mean after all that one seed versus one seed. Let's see.
1: Yeah, and again one seed versus one seed, but also two really different teams in terms of just how the roster construction, at least on the payroll side. You have the Dodgers who are consistently who are consistently up there and the Rays who consistently are not up there. Right. And you still see you're going to have some great pitching matches. Obviously, you've got Clayton Kershaw. you got Walker Bueller over there with the Dodgers. You've got Snell. You've got Morton. You've got the Rays. you got Randy Rosarena, who has been probably one of the best stories to watch unfold during this during these playoffs. You've got Mookie Betts, who probably is going to make uh, the catch of the night every single game, it feels like. Yeah. It's just, it's going to be a really fun match. It's going to be a really fun matchup.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. And, and um, interesting, again, how I was talking about the day's rest of the lack of. It seems like the Rays have been able to manage through that in spite of it. I mean, even now, like, they, they they get the luck of the draw. They get that extra day. And now it, they can line up Glasnow, Snell, and Morton. Boom, 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 one, two, and three to start that series against LA. I mean, mm-hmm. It's like if you're in LA you're thinking to yourself god like we're, we're 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 shredded right now in terms of pitching and we got to recover we got to reset everything. and so you guys can just like roll them out like that. I mean that that's I mean that's going to be you know a huge advantage I think to start the series for Tampa and, and that's why like I in another show that I do I picked this matchup but I did not but I picked the Dodgers but I think at this point I think I'm going to be wrong. I think I like this Tampa Bay pitching staff and I think The fact that they're going to be able to launch those right off the bat in the first three games, they could take a big lead. We've seen some leads not be safe, obviously, in this postseason. That's why these two teams, you know, one survived, the other one didn't. But I think at this point, I think I'm going to have to say that Tampa's probably the one that's going to prevail.
1: Yeah, and to go off of that pitching, I mean, Kershaw will be in line to start game one. He should be on regular rest. Game two is going to be the interesting spot, unless they go with Bueller or Urias on short rest. For game two, and then the other one will be able. Every everyone will be back on normal rest by game three, but yeah. I'm siding with you. I've was talking to a few friends last night after the game ended, and I'm going raising six. I just I like I like what I've seen from Tampa this year. I like how they've grinded it out. I also want to see the World Series make it back to the state of Florida. I want them to see him. There you go. I want. I'm sticking with that down here. I mean. Got the Stanley Cup. The Stanley Cup was won by Tampa. I think I see the World Series go there and then the Super Bowl get played in Tampa. You know what? Let Tampa go off. Let Tampa have their year. Let them the have... Bucks are
2: the Bucks are winning. You know, Brady is routing the Packers. They're making Aaron Rodgers look bad. I mean, everything's clicking for Tampa right now.
1: Yeah. So, either way, it's going to be fun. Starts Tuesday night. Let's hope it go. Let's hope we get another seven-game series to keep up with what we saw from the ALCS and the NLCS. And... Mm-hmm. We'll hopefully be back talking a little bit more later on this offseason. And that's going to be it for this episode of Fish Bites. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Dre, it's always great doing this. Let's do this again sometime. We'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, everyone.